Section 10 of The Governess, or The Little Female Academy by Sarah Fielding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Friday, the fifth day. Mrs. Teacham, in the morning, inquired how her scholars did after their walk, and was pleased to hear they were all very well. They then performed their several tasks with much cheerfulness, and after the school hours they were hastening as usual to their arbor, when Miss Jenny desired them all to go thither without her, and she would soon follow them, which they readily consented to, but begged her not to deprive them long of the pleasure of her sweet company. Miss Jenny then went directly into her governess's parlor, and told her that she had some thoughts of reading to her companions a fairy tale, which was also given her by her mamma, and though it was not in such a pompous style, nor so full of wonderful images as the giant story, yet she would not venture to read anything of that kind without her permission but as she had not absolutely condemned all that sort of writing she hoped she was not guilty of a fault in asking that permission mrs teacham with a gracious smile told her that she seemed so thoroughly well to understand the whole force of her monday night's discourse to her that she might be trusted almost in anything and desired her to go and follow her own judgment and inclinations in the amusement of her happy friends. Miss Jenny, overjoyed with this kind condescension in her governess, thanked her with a low courtesy and said, she hoped she should never do anything unworthy of the confidence reposed on her, and hastening to the arbor, she there found all her little companions quite impatient of this short absence. Miss Jenny told them, that she had by her a fairy tale which if they liked it she would read and as it had pleased her she did not doubt but it would give them equal pleasure it was the custom now so much amongst them to assent to any proposal that came from miss jenny that they all with one voice desired her to read it till miss polly suckling said that although she was very unwilling to contradict anything miss jenny liked yet she could not help saying she thought it would be better if they were to read some true history from which they might learn something for she thought fairy tales were fit only for little children miss jenny could not help smiling at such an objection's coming from the little dumpling who was not much above seven years of age and then said i will tell you a story my little polly of what happened to me whilst i was at home there came into our village when i was six years old a man who carried about a rere show which all the children of the parish were fond of seeing but i had taken it into my head that it was beneath my wisdom to see rere shows and therefore would not be persuaded to join my companions to see this sight and although i had as great an inclination as any of them to see it yet i avoided it in order to boast of my own great sense in that i was above such trifles when my mamma asked me why i would not see the show when she had given me leave i drew up my head and said indeed i did not like rare shows that i had been reading and i thought that much more worth my while than to lose my time at such foolish entertainments my mamma who saw the cause of my refusing this amusement was only a pretence of being wise laughed and said she herself had seen it, and it was really very comical and diverting. On hearing this, I was heartily vexed to think I had denied myself a pleasure, which I fancied was beneath me, when I found even my mamma was not above seeing it. 
this in a great measure cured me of the folly of thinking myself above any innocent amusement and when i grew older and more capable of hearing reason my mamma told me she had taken this method of laughing at me as laughing is the proper manner of treating affectation which of all things she said she would have me carefully avoid otherwise whenever i was found out i should become contemptible here miss jenny ceased speaking and miss polly suckling blushing that she had made any objection to what miss jenny had proposed begged her to begin the fairy tale when just at that instant mrs teacham who had been taking a walk in the garden turned into the arbour to delight herself with a view of her little school united in harmony and love and miss jenny with great good humour told her mistress the small contest she had just had with miss polly about reading a fairy tale and the occasion of it mrs teacham kindly chucking the little dumpling under the chin said she had so good an opinion of miss jenny as to answer for her that she would read nothing to them but what was proper and added that she herself would stay and hear this fairy tale which miss jenny on her commands immediately began the princess hebe a fairy tale above two thousand years ago there reigned over the kingdom of tonga a king whose name was abdallah he was married to a young princess the daughter of a king of a neighbouring country whose name was rosignon her beauty and prudence engaged him so far in affection to her that every hour he could possibly spare from attending the affairs of his kingdom he spent in her apartment they had a little daughter to whom they gave the name of hebe who was the darling and mutual care of both the king was quiet in his dominion beloved by his subjects happy in his family and all his days rolled on in calm content and joy the king's brother abdulham was also married to a young princess named tropo who in seven years had brought him no children and she conceived so mortal a hatred against the queen for she envied her the happiness of the little princess hebe that she resolved to do her some mischief it was impossible for her during the king's lifetime to vent her malice without being discovered and therefore she pretended the greatest respect and friendship imaginable for the unsuspecting queen whilst things were in this situation the king fell into a violent fever of which he died and during the time that the queen was in the height of her affliction for him and could think of nothing but his loss the princess tropo took the opportunity of pushing in execution her malicious intentions she inflamed her husband's passions by setting forth the meanness of his spirit in letting a crown be ravished from his head by a female infant till ambition seized his mind and he resolved to wield the tongian sceptre himself it was very easy to bring this about for by his brother's appointment he was protector of the realm and guardian to the young princess his niece and the queen taking him and the princess his wife for her best friends suspected nothing of their designs but in a manner gave herself up to their power the protector abdulham having the whole treasure of the kingdom at his command was in possession of the means to make all his schemes successful and the princess tropo by lavishly rewarding the instruments of her treasury contrived to make it generally believed that the queen had poisoned her husband who was so much beloved by his subjects that the very horror of the action 
without any proof of her guilt, raised against the poor unhappy queen a universal clamor and a general aversion throughout the whole kingdom. The princess had so well laid her scheme that the guards were to seize the queen and convey her to a place of confinement till she could prove her innocence, which, that she might never be able to do, proper care was taken by procuring sufficient evidence to accuse her on oath, and the princess Hebe, her daughter, was to be taken from her and educated under the care of her uncle. But the night before this cruel design was to have been put in execution, a faithful attendant of the queen's named Loretta, by the assistance of one of the princess Tropo's confidants, who had long professed himself her lover, discovered the whole secret, of which she immediately informed her royal mistress. The horrors which filled the queen's mind at the relation of the princess Tropo's malicious intentions were inexpressible, and her perturbation so great that she could not form any scheme that appeared probable to execute for her own preservation. Loretta told her that the person who had given her this timely notice had also provided a peasant who knew the country and would meet her at the western gate of the city and carrying the young princess hebe in his arms would conduct her to some place of safety but she must consent to put on a disguise and escape that very night from the palace or she would be lost for ever horses and mules she said it would be impossible to come at without suspicion therefore she must endeavour though unused to such fatigue to travel afoot till she got herself concealed in some cottage from her pursuers if her enemies should think of endeavouring to find her out loretta offered to attend her mistress but she absolutely forbade her going any farther than to the western gate where delivering the little princess hebe into the arms of a peasant who was there waiting for them she reluctantly withdrew the good queen who saw no remedy to this her terrible disgrace could have borne this barbarous usage without much repining had she herself been the only sufferer by it for the loss of the good king her husband so far exceeded all her other misfortunes that every everything else was trifling in comparison of so dreadful an affliction but the young princess hebe whom she was accustomed to look on as her greatest blessing now became to her an object of pity and concern for from being heiress to a throne the poor infant not yet five years old was with her wretched mother became a vagabond and knew not whither to fly for protection loretta had prevailed on her royal mistress to take with her a few little necessaries besides a small picture of the king and some of her jewels which the queen contrived to conceal under her night-clothes in the midst of that hair they were used to adorn when her loved husband delighted to see it displayed in flowing ringlets round her snowy neck this lady during the life of her fond husband was by his tender care kept from every inclemency of the air and preserved from every inconvenience that it was possible for human nature to suffer what then must be her condition now when through by-paths and thorny ways she was obliged to fly with all possible speed to escape the fury of her cruel pursuers for she too well knew the merciless temper of her enemies to hope that they would not pursue her with the utmost diligence especially as she was accompanied by the young princess hebe 
whose life was the principal cause of their disquiet and whose destruction they chiefly aimed at the honest peasant who carried the princess hebe in his arms followed the queen's painful steps and seeing the day begin to break he begged her if possible to hasten on to a wood which was not far off where it was likely she might find a place of safety but the afflicted queen at the sight of the opening morn which once used to fill her mind with rising joy burst into a flood of tears and quite overcome with grief and fatigue cast herself on the ground crying out in the most affecting manner the end of my misfortunes is at hand my weary limbs will no longer support me my spirits fail me in the grave alone must i seek for shelter the poor princess seeing her mother in tears cast her little arms about her neck and wept also though she knew not why whilst she was in this deplorable condition turning round her head she saw behind her a little girl no older in appearance than the princess hebe who with an amiable and tranquil countenance begged her to rise and follow her and she would lead her where she might refresh and repose herself the queen was surprised at the manner of speaking of this little child as she took her to be but soon thought it was some kind of fairy sent to protect her and was very ready to submit herself to her guidance and protection the little fairy for such indeed was the seeming child who had thus accosted them ordered the peasant to return back and said that she would take care of the queen and her young daughter and he knowing her to be the good fairy sibella very readily obeyed sibella then striking the ground three times with a little wand there suddenly rose up before them a neat plain car and a pair of milk-white horses and placing the queen with the princess hebe in her lap by her side she drove with excessive swiftness full westward for eight hours when just as the sun began to have power enough to make the queen almost faint with the heat and her former fatigue they arrived at the side of a shady wood upon entering of which the fairy made her horses slacken in their speed and having travelled about a mile and a half through rows of elms and beech trees they came to a thick grove of firs into which there seemed to be no entrance for there was not any opening to a path and the underwood consisting chiefly of rose-bushes whitethorn eglantine and other flowering shrubs was so thick that it appeared impossible to attempt forcing through them but alighting out of the car which immediately disappeared the fairy bidding the queen follow her pushed her way through a large bush of jessamine whose tender branches gave way for their passage and then closed again so as to leave no traces of an entrance into this charming grove having gone a little way through an extreme narrow path they came into an opening quite surrounded by these firs and sweet underwood not very large but in which was contained everything that is necessary towards making life comfortable at the end of a green meadow was a plain neat house built more for convenience than beauty fronting the rising sun and behind it was a small garden stored only with fruits and useful herbs sibella conducted her guests into this her simple lodging and as repose was the chief thing necessary for the poor fatigued queen she prevailed with her to lie down on a couch 
some hours sound sleep which her weariness induced gave her a fresh supply of spirits the ease and safety from her pursuers in which she then found herself made her for a short time tolerably composed and she begged the favour of knowing to whom she was so greatly obliged for this her happy deliverance but the fairy seeing her mind too unsettled to give any due attention to what she should say told her that she would defer the relation of her own life which was worth her observation till she had obtained a respite from her own sorrows and in the meantime by all manner of obliging ways she endeavoured to divert and amuse her the queen after a short interval of calmness of mind occasioned only by her so sudden escape from the terrors of pursuit returned to her former dejection and for some time incessantly wept at the dismal thought that the princess seemed now by this reverse of fate to be for ever excluded all hopes of being seated on her father's throne and by a strange perverse way of adding to her own grief she afflicted herself the more because the little princess was ignorant of her misfortune and whenever she saw her diverting herself with little childish plays instead of being pleased with such her innocent amusement it added to her sorrow and made her tears gush forth in a larger stream than usual she could not divert her thoughts from the palace from which she had been driven to fix them on any other object nor would her grief suffer her to reflect that it was possible for the princess to be happy without a crown at length time the great cure of all ills in some measure abated her sorrows her grief began to subside in spite of herself the reflection that her misery was only in her own fancy would sometimes force itself on her mind she could not avoid seeing that her little hostess enjoyed as perfect a state of happiness as is possible to attain in this world that she was free from anxious cares undisturbed by restless passions and mistress of all things that could be of any use to make life easy or agreeable the oftener this reflection presented itself to her thoughts the more strength it gained and at last she could even bear to think that her beloved child might be as happy in such a situation as was her amiable hostess her countenance now grew more cheerful she could take the princess hebe in her arms and thinking the jewels she had preserved would secure her from any fear of want looked on her with delight and began even to imagine that her future life might be spent in calm content and pleasure as soon as the voice of reason had gained this power over the queen sibella told her that now her bosom was so free from passion she would relate the history of her life the queen overjoyed that her curiosity might now be gratified begged her not to delay giving her that pleasure one moment on which our little fairy began in the following manner but there mrs teacham told miss jenny that the bell rung for dinner on which she was obliged to break off but meeting again in the same arbour in the evening when their good mistress continued to them the favour of her presence miss jenny pursued her story End of section ten